Canucks fans, and welcome into episode 99 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. Doug, a quick little game flight here. Let's get into it. We only have one game on this flight, and it was against the Seattle Kraken. The Canucks came away with a 5-2 victory. Tanner Pearson had a goal, an assist, and a fight to complete the Gordie Howe hat-trick. I guess I don't uh, get to participate in this game flight, do I? Hey, at least there's no disappointing losses to talk about. It's true, it's been over a month now since a regulation loss by the Canucks. I think the only loss they've had so far was the overtime or shootout loss to the LA Kings, so that's great. Doug, how's things? You're in Toronto now. Yeah, the the big smoke is, I've been told, it's referred to from time to time. It's definitely cold here. Um, not getting much snow, unlike you guys. I heard you guys have been getting dumps and dumps of snow this past week. Um, it's definitely cold and frigid, but not much snow here. Yeah, we've had lots of snow, and that's supposed to all turn to rain and make slush. I hate the slush. I like the snow, I like the rain. I hate the slush, but uh, it's uh, it's definitely starting to shape up that way. I'll be glad to see the snow gone. It's been weird to have it around for like two weeks. As you know, this just doesn't really happen here. So it's making walking to work tricky. I can't bike anywhere. It's tricky on the runs. Uh, you know, it's just I'm ready to, to get a little bit of back of, to this wet coast winter, if you will. Yeah, I agree with you with the slush. Like, the snow is great for, like, a day or two, but then all of a sudden it turns to slush and it just becomes unbearable. And when you get that much snow and then followed by a big heaping dump of rain, it's, it's yeah, it's awful to deal with. Yeah, it sucks, man. Um, Toronto, hey, I got to say, you know, last episode, I was like, don't go turning into a Leafs fan, but I'm sh- you may have done this too, but I hate to say this, but... I was wanting the Leafs to win last night against Edmonton. I mean, that's just, again, you know, you got to support the Canucks, right? It made a lot more sense. And I know you, you've you said before, you maybe hate the Oilers even more than you hate the Leafs. But uh, I was like, you know, I was joking last episode. I'm like, hey, don't go cheering for the Leafs or anything. And then here I am last night. I'm like, geez, I hope the Leafs knock off the Oilers and we can gain some ground on them. But again, you're cheering for the Leafs out of respect of being a Canucks fan and, you know, from the admiration of being a Canucks fan, I hate the Oilers. So I was definitely wanting the Leafs to win last night. I will say this. And again, it was, I don't know if it was, I don't think it was last night or maybe it was or the night before, but that like, well, what, what did Sportsnet call it on Twitter? The, the backstroke save where I think it was Campbell. Oh yeah. Did you see that tweet? Oh my God. Is like, I, I didn't see the tweet. I saw the save. Uh, I don't it know wasn't a save. It, but- it's not a save. <laughs> I don't know. Like, that's that's the shit that makes every fan, every hockey fan across the globe hate the Toronto Maple Leafs. Is that like Toronto media, and again, that's Sportsnet, but again, center of the universe, trying to spin it like it was this incredible one-off save. The puck was going well wide. It was nowhere near going in the net. And it was just, I don't know. It was <laughs> it was so ridiculous. You know, maybe it was done in ton, tongue-in-cheek, but, uh, yeah, I saw tons of people last night going off about it, just laughing their ass off. And, hey, I did the same. Uh, what about a real highlight that we saw this past week, that Kale McCarr goal in overtime? Amazing. Like, amazing. Um, I When I first saw the goal, I, I didn't, first of all, I didn't realize it was Kale McCarr at first. Um, and then I didn't realize it was a game-winning kind of like a walk-off, you know, goal in overtime. Incredible goal. Literally I, was it uh who was the Chicago Blackhawks player that he did the spinorama on and literally like dropped his jock strap right on the ice and then just went kind of on the side one on one against the I guess it was Flurry probably in net and went backhand roof it was just beautiful goal man for me goal of the year so far easily although yeah, don't right sorry Zegris's goal Zegris's goal is up there as well or not his goal but his his assist. You know, people are going to maybe hate me for the Zegras thing. The Zegras thing was cool, but it wasn't like it, it was it was cool because it was original and it was something a little different. I like how it faked and, you know, uh, I can't remember who scored the goal, but, you know, they faked out the Michigan. He called the audible goal, said Michigan and um, they lobbed it over. And, and I like that. 
But I don't think it was like as amazing as the Makar goal by any stretch. I, I would give them my, like, I like that a lot more, you know, like the finesse and the skill. Like for me, hey, and again, nothing against Zegris. I was really hoping that the Canucks were going to get him and it went a pick before the Canucks. I, I know we were kind of holding out on the draft floor there and at Rogers that maybe yeah, we we're going to land Zegris. But, uh, it, it was, and he's a great player, and he's going to be a great player for a long time. Also, how about uh, how about Terry over in Anaheim as well? Third in the league in goals. Yeah, that's crazy. There's some weird. I shouldn't say weird, but like just unseen players leading some statistical categories this year. Uh, Troy Terry, like you said, third in the league in goals. Who saw that coming? Going back to what you were saying about. The Zegris goal, just really quickly. Uh, I agree. Look, I think the creativity factor was through the charts. Unbelievable. But I think the raw skill and talent it took from a car to pull off what he pulled off trumps that. Also, Zegris goal, you know, you need, I think it was Sonny Milano, I believe, was the guy that, that put the puck in the net. That sounds right, yeah. And you also, you yeah. know, Zegris is getting a lot of the credit, but M- Milano also had to bat that puck out of, out of the air to put it in the net. So he deserves, you know, at least half the credit, in my opinion. Troy Terry's photo on Hockey DB, he looks like, you know, some sort of Terminator or something with uh, with his uh, face. He's got that that total non-expression, steely look at you. Like Troy Terry, the Terminator, the Terminator. Right, there we go. <laughs> That's a bit of a bit of a fudge, but he does he does look like it. Um, Doug, I also wanted to ask you, something we're going to try and do a little bit more is uh, talk about the song briefly that we used on uh, the last episode outro. Uh, and it was your, you edited the last episode. So why don't you tell us just a little bit about the song that you used? Yeah, it's a Nigerian musician named William Onyabor. And not much is really known about him. He made these really kind of cool, incredible like synth albums when synth albums, especially during, you know, the Nigerian funk and soul era was not the a Lakuti thing. The era. Exactly. And it just wasn't a thing. And this guy had his own pressing plant and had some incredible, incredible gear at his disposal that most other musicians in that area did not have. And he made these really weird records and they're really cool. There's actually a cool little documentary you can watch on YouTube. Uh... I believe it's from Noisy and it's uh, Noisy, which is a subsidiary of Vice. It's kind of like their music channel. Um, and it's like, who is William Onyabor? And yeah, he's still alive to this day. And they reissued a record label, I believe in New York, reissued a bunch of his music and put it into a big compilation. And he's apparently just living in a mansion, didn't want to be really interviewed on camera for the 34-minute documentary. You should watch it, Pete. It's really cool. It's quick, brief little documentary. Um, and I don't think he got any royalties or has wanted any royalties for the music. But uh, really cool musician. If you get a chance to check it out, definitely check it out. I highly recommend it. And the song is called Fantastic Man. Uh, and the documentary has Damien Albarn in it, famous cool. of Gorillas and Blur. He's talking about William Onyabar. And then... My boy Dan Snaith uh, from Caribou and Daphne is also talking about him and just how you know incredible he is and he's used him for many DJ sets and people just go crazy and I'm like who is this? Very cool. I, I did like that track uh, a lot, so I'll uh, I'll dive into that. And it's funny, I just bought a Fela Kuti record uh, recently as well. Um, so I, we both got the Nigerian funk on the brain uh, apparently right now. I mean, it's hard not to. To shake a little bit to that kind of stuff, man. There's just so much rhythm to it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the Afro beat, you know, essentially was created there, and Fela Kuti was, you know, one of the trend centers and you know originators of that style of music, and it's just it's incredible. But the William Onyabor stuff is different because it's very synthy based, which is really cool, and it's like. You know, there's like some influence of like craft work and human league in there as well, right? Which is pretty cool for, you know, mm-hmm. that era of music coming out of Nigeria. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, Fela Kuti is kind of like the like the Bob Marley of Afrobeat and oh, uh, yeah. Afro funk. Like it's kind of like everything ends up coming back to him. Uh very cool. So yeah, we're just going to be tying that into future episodes just talk a little bit 
about the outro tracks. And we don't do it over the outro track because a lot of the times uh, when we edit it, we have to find one that lines up pretty well. So uh, that's why we don't do it at the end of the episode. And we're going to do it at the start of the next one um, and uh, give you a chance to go and check out our playlist on Spotify, which is the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist. Also, I am on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore gas. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. And be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Canucks Speak. I threw a curveball there at you, Doug. We switched up the uh, the plugs. I was ready for it. I was ready for it. And hey, kudos to you because you kind of started down that path and then you just kept going with it. And hey, man, that was flawless. Flawless transition, I got to say. <laughs> well, there may be a little bit of editing in there. I'd, uh, my brain was not quite catching up to me which is a good thing because i'm about to crack a beer here um i've got a cozy whale brown ale which is a gift from uh, parkside brewery they uh, gave me a couple beers and uh, always appreciative of that but it's been a busy day for me today ah yes i uh, brewed a lager today i brewed uh, ipa yesterday so it's been a very busy couple of days and i haven't had a beer yet over the last couple of days so um oh i don't wanted to tell you doug I, I know i tweeted about this but i've got a isa coming on to tap next week and i very cleverly have called it bruce there it isa uh so that's uh coming on i've got my connor garland beer still on tap as well connor's cascadian dark ale so uh slowly working the canuck beers in more but yeah my i'm hoping by i'm guessing about wednesday it should be ready to replace uh, the beer on tap the bruce that's Derrick really cool man isa yeah not bad eh yeah they like it when i give them canucks names and they, they sell well too so uh i'm gonna i've only done it with a couple but uh i think it's gonna become a regular thing i think you're gonna see a lot of canucks beers coming out of there that's really cool, man. Very clever. I know, Pete, since I first met you way back in 2009, you've always been like one of the grand masters of puns and <laughs> beers and puns and Canucks. I mean, that's a perfect, perfect symbiotic relationship. And you obviously putting them and combining them all into one. It's it's a, it's a perfect, perfect one. If you want to come down and, and try it, uh, that's at the Aletown Brewery. Um, it should be on tap by the end of... Next week, and you know, it's a good spot to go before games if you're, we ever get to go to games uh, again. Um, I mean, we talked about it again last episode. We were talking about, hey, are we going to get to go to both uh, the games uh, this week? Well, Islanders game didn't happen. Senators game, that's uh, in two days. Right now it's supposed to happen, but I guess we'll see. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of scuttlebutt regarding whether or not the Canucks would play this Saturday against the Senators. I know a lot of season ticket holders. I've got, you know, we got season ticket holders at our disposal through uh, my work. And there was a lot of season ticket holders that were saying that their tickets had been canceled for that game. But then when they would reach out to a Canucks rep, they said, oh, yeah, sorry, they will be back in your account tomorrow for you to use, transfer, sell online, totally up to you. So there was a lot of confusion yesterday. Uh, Terry Guest, again, is coming over from the island. I also believe this was a game that you were interested in going to, Pete. I don't know if you're still interested. Uh, but yeah, it's just it's been kind of confusing. And obviously, the whole thing with COVID and uh, Petey, we'll talk about a little bit more in depth later. He's tested positive or he's gone into protocol, I should say. And Austin Matthews in Toronto is gone into protocol so there's a lot going on in the nhl as this virus that seemingly never will stop or end uh continues to multiply and the cases are having you know outbreaking all across the league and all across the globe really yeah and we are going to talk about that on this episode we got a few things coming up we're going to do a bit of a recap on the seattle game a quick little glaze over some of the things happening with Olympic rosters um, and, of course, the COVID stuff, which is unavoidable. Um, we're also going to touch on seven players that could be trade chips or you know, at least they're rumored out there. There's there's a lot of discussion about these seven players. Uh, so we're going to we're going to touch on seven players uh, that are out there in Canucks rumors, whether it's created by media or fans, or if there's any truth or not, who knows, but we're just going to kind of give some thoughts on what we think the future of these seven players are with the Canucks. And you know what, Doug, after all that, let's just get the COVID stuff out of the way. I mean, we don't have to talk about it, it too long, but PD goes into protocol. Uh, we got a couple of the boys heading back to Vancouver now. Um, I, I mean, to me, looking at this, it, it just kind of seems like we're going to get some more cases on the team, eh? 
Yeah, I mean, there's a few teams. I think the Calgary Flames are ravaged right now with players in protocol or have tested positive and having to isolate. It, it just, it's a, it's around the globe, right? Like, uh, I know back in Vancouver, some of the staff at the establishment I work at, you know, tested positive. My fiance's work, a lot of people there tested positive. It just seems to be the norm. I mean, I got to Toronto, literally the next day, they said that they were shutting the city down and bars are closed unless they have a patio. Well, it's minus 15 outside. I don't see anyone sitting outside on a patio to have a beer. Um, the NHL luckily has that two weeks in their disposal to make up a lot of these games for what was going to be the Olympic break, but obviously the NHL is not going to the Olympics now. So I think that's why the NHL is a lot more comfortable postponing games. But I also know that some of the games are getting postponed at the team's request because they want to wait till some of the provincial or state regulations have been lifted so they can fill the building to max capacity again. Montreal has a huge outbreak that have had it for a while. Ottawa actually has the second most players in protocol right now. So, and the Canucks are right near the top as well, slowly but surely. I mean, they have six guys in protocol. Um, it sounds like Besser and Di Giuseppe and I believe Dowling have all gotten back to Vancouver now in a private jet. I don't know about Dickinson. Um, and also Alex Chason has been added into the list today as well. Um, so he's obviously in Vancouver, but it's uh, it's getting messy. And uh, there is that taxi squad. But I believe there's only a couple bodies on the taxi squad right now. Well, the other thing, too, and maybe you know more about this, Pete, or this is a question that a fan could answer us via Twitter. But with Besser... D Giuseppe and I believe Dowling, they all were stuck in Anaheim for those five days, right? Now, do they have to, once they get back into BC, are they going to have to isolate again for another five days or are they going to be available for the Canucks on Saturday if that game actually ends up happening? Yeah, that's a good question. And I'm, I am under the assumption that they actually, I really don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what the the protocol is. They either, Maybe they pass a, they get a negative test and they can play, or maybe because they they are coming back internationally, they have to uh, go in quarantine for five days. I honestly don't know. I don't know what's uh, going to happen. Um, I know that uh, Sheldon Rempel has been put on the taxi squad as well. He's been having a good year down in Abbotsford, uh, second on the team in scoring. Uh, so he's up now uh, as well. Um like I said, it's just messy everywhere right now. And, of course, uh, the 50% capacity thing in Rogers, uh, there could be a push to, even by the Canucks to maybe get the game postponed as well. Well, I think there already has been. I mean, there's been rumblings. I believe it was Elliot Friedman last week or maybe it was a few days ago, put out that tweet that, you know, he thinks that the Canucks could be looking at trying to get their a couple of their next home games postponed until... The two-week, I think it was a two- or three-week uh, change in policy by the British Columbian government is regarding uh, big events like Canucks games and having it go back to max capacity. Um, I think that's something that is in ownership's best interest, but I think the way this team is playing now and the way they're gelling, I think it's their best interest that they keep playing and they keep the ball rolling. That being said, I think it's actually good that Boudreaux's had a lot more time to kind of spend to get to know the players and to work on some of the systems he wants to put in place. Um, it's almost like a mini training camp, and I know that's been said over and over again, but it, it it's actually, I think, a really good thing for Boudreaux and the Canucks moving forward. This would be uh, the last home game against Ottawa uh, before the regulations uh expire right now they're set to expire on the 18th the Canucks have a five game road trip coming up after this uh, down in the states so we'll see what happens um, sucks to see PD on there you know that's just another kind of monkey wrench chucked at him in uh, what's been uh, you know a difficult season but he seemed to be getting uh, his motor going uh, again a little bit as well well, I mean, you know, we'll talk about this when we discuss about some of the trade rumors or players that fans or media have suspected of maybe moving on from the Canucks. But the one thing you can't say that P hasn't put a lot of effort into, it's the PK. You know, since he's been put on the PK, he's looked really good. And he's actually been one of the more noticeable and better penalty killers this team has had the past month or so. Yeah, I liked the the PD Pod Colson unit out there. That that's been 
A lot of fun. Uh, that's a that's enough COVID talk. I don't want to talk about COVID too much here. COVID's everywhere. It's unavoidable. Um, let's just talk a bit of a recap of the only game we had on uh, the table from in between episodes. Five uh, two win over the Kraken. That was a pretty fun game. Yeah, it was a fun game. Uh, the Canucks beat the Kraken again. Uh, Tanner Pearson, as I noted in the game flight, had a Gordy Howe hat trick, and the team hadn't played, I guess, in two days. They had played the Kings, I guess, two nights earlier, but they looked good. Uh, they went down to Seattle, uh, came away with a 5-2 victory, and yeah, I mean, the team looked good. The big news, obviously, coming out of that game was the media statement prior to the game of Brian Red Hamilton and the Canucks trying to reach out to a fan at the time. They didn't know the fan's name. But I'm sure everybody knows and has read the stories and has seen the videos of a fan back in October when the Canucks played the first official game in Seattle against the Kraken had spotted a mole on the back of Brian's neck and she typed on her phone, that mole on the back of your neck is cancerous. She is studying to be a doctor and has been accepted to, I think, a handful of different colleges and is still figuring out where she wants to go. And thankfully, through the power of social media, they found out who she was, and they set a meeting up between her and Brian pregame. He obviously expressed his gratitude and how thankful he was. He didn't even know the mole was on the back of his neck. Um, And then during the game, they made a big announcement, and the Canucks, in correlation with the Seattle Kraken, put together uh, a little fund of $10,000 for her to put towards a scholarship, which is really cool and incredible as well. And the other thing is, like, this made international news. Like, this made news in Germany. This made news in Japan. This made news in Mexico. Like, it's a pretty heartwarming story, and I think a story a lot of us needed to start off 2022, man. It It was amazing. It was really, really good. It, it is a cool story. $5,000 each from the Canucks and Kraken. And my only question with all this uh, uh, is, like, how are we supposed to have a rivalry with the Kraken now? Like, <laughs> this, is, this makes it so difficult. We're already now, uh, like, everyone's all touchy-feely. It's like, oh, look at look it up there, the west northwest coast. Uh, those two teams, they love each other. It's like, no, we're supposed to hate each other. But the Canucks have won the only two meetings they played against the Kraken. And uh, in this game, they were in control. They they twice had two goal leads that got cut down to one goal leads but they were resilient each time and they were able to quickly come back and never let seattle really get into the game it was two nothing canucks after one pod colson and hoglander the draft class buddies uh i was like that's a pretty good way to start the new year is seeing that on the score sheet yeah i mean i think the rivalry is never gonna really start until a playoff series Right, as soon as you have that first Vancouver Seattle playoff series, then the rivalry truly starts, in my opinion. Until then, I mean, that's where most of these rivalries stem from, right? The Canucks and the Blackhawks, the Canucks and the Minnesota Wild back in the early two thousands, uh, Canucks, and, Canucks and the Calgary Flames in the late eighties, early nineties, right? I mean, that Joel Otto goal we referenced, I think, on the last episode where he kicked the puck in the net, you know, and then when the Canucks finally beat them in Game Seven, Pavel Bure in overtime was against the flames and you know again that cemented you know this team to go on a bit of a run just like when the 2011 team beat chicago in game seven for the slay the dragon goal yeah it's uh it's true yeah i mean if you look at it now you're like jesus could take a while for seattle and vancouver to play each other in the playoffs and i mean there's 32 teams now as well. It takes a little while to get these things going. You'd hope that the geography would help, but obviously with COVID and the border right now, it makes it a, a little bit trickier. But I know a lot of Canucks fans did go down, made a weekend out of it. They got to see uh, the Canucks beat the Kraken and then uh, see the Seahawks pummel the Lions the next day as well. Yeah, that would have been great. I mean, I mean, it is the Detroit Lions after all, right? So yeah. it's not, it's you know... The Seahawks have had a rough season, and I'm sure they'll take you know their victories wherever they can get them. But that would have been a great sports road trip to go to Seattle, see the Canucks play the Kraken, and then go see a Seahawks game against the Detroit Lions. It's a shame that the Seahawks weren't playing a better opponent, but hey, at least you got to see them win. Yeah, at least you got to cheer a lot. I mean, you got to cheer for five Canucks goals and 51 Seahawks points. Like, geez, I'd take that uh, for a sports weekend. That's a lot of cheering. 
That is. That's that's a good point. That is. I've had that a couple times when I've gone to Canuck schemes on the road. Only a couple times where I had a lot of goals. I was in Boston when the Canucks put up eight, and I was in Nashville when the Canucks put up six. Uh, it's pretty fun, but you also got to make sure, uh, especially in Boston, you're not being too much of a dick about it because uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe you have some people waiting for you outside uh, the stadium afterwards. Yeah, I mean, I've never been to Boston, but I can only imagine the the stereotypical Boston fan, whether that's a Patriots fan, a Bruins fan, a Red Sox fan, uh, I can only imagine if you're cheering for the opposing team in the stadium. The only fan base that actually scares me more are Philly fans. Yeah, Philly fans, crazy. I think, are scary. Whether it's the Eagles, whether it's the Phillies or the Flyers, those fans or the uh, Sixers. intimidate me. Sixers, Sixers as well. As well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, just on a little uh, tangent, we uh, met uh, when we were down in Boston. We met, uh, we went into like a, a bar and it was like, you know, a sea of black and yellow in there, but people were cool to us. And uh, uh, we started talking with these guys who, you know, look like they're part of the supporting band for the Dropkick Murphys. And we uh, just started talking about, you know, fantasy teams and stuff. And the one guy, uh, he's like, what about Maxton? Maxton's starting tonight? I'm like, and ever since then, I was like, Maxton. Every time I th- hear Jacob Markstrom, I still think Maxton. That's what they call him in, uh, in Baston. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, yeah, so the one game, it was it was a game uh, I enjoyed. I mean, it was it was a nice way to start the year, get keep the ball rolling. You know, eight zero and one under uh, Boudreaux. Um, I wanted to shift gears just to quickly touch about the Olympic uh, rosters. I've seen Aiden McDonough's name getting floated about for Team USA. That's kind of cool. That is really cool. Uh, I actually didn't see that, and the fact that he's still in college. I mean, I guess you're not getting paid as an Olympic athlete to go over there. You can get sponsorships after the fact. But, yeah, that's that's an interesting name. That's kind of cool. Uh, the other name I think a lot of Canucks fans have seen, and begrudgingly so, is uh, Jake Vertanen. I've seen his name thrown around out there. And then, you know, a lot of players that are over in Europe at the moment and some college collegiate players, I guess, are also having their names thrown around. I mean, I, I would imagine a guy like Owen Power could potentially be getting an invite. Oh, he's, he's already He's already been confirmed for the team. Oh, has he? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Owen Power is already uh, already on it. Yeah, Jake Vertanen and Brandon Leipzig, two former Canucks, uh, even being mentioned for it, I think is uh, is a pretty bad move by Hockey Canada right there. Uh, it just they're really missing the mark by having those two on the list of players that they're looking at. Yeah, actually, that was the other player, Leipzig, which is hilarious because there was a bit of a falling out between Leipzig. Well, I shouldn't say a falling out, but Leipzig had said some shit. That was not cool about former Canuck players. I think Jake Vertanen was one of them. There was like the worst crew, and then Vertanen got a hat made that said worst crew. And then Leipzig made some disgusting, disparaging remarks regarding Tanner Pearson's wife, which, again, is totally uncalled for. And I don't think he's an NHL player, but God, do I wish he would play one more NHL game against the Canucks so Tanner Pearson could punch his lights out. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Uh, a couple other interesting names. Uh, Eric Stahl is a guy that's been looked at. Former Vancouver uh, giant Cody Franzen is, is out there as well. A lot of younger guys, too. I'm, there's also like Michael Delzato, another former Canucks. Another Josh Hosang, another guy who's had uh, yeah, some interesting history. Adam Cracknell, another former Canuck briefly um, and a couple other names that jump out like Jason Demers, Daniel Winnick and um, and then a few young guys like Peyton Krebs, Jack Quinn, Cole Perfetti, Mason McTavish, uh, Kent Johnson. So it's kind of got the makings of being like, you know, something like a Spangler Cup team in a lot of ways. Man, that first when you were listing off that first half of names, I almost thought Jim Benning was putting this team together. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I mean, he's just taking it day to day with uh, with the roster construction here. <laughs> So, Doug, let's talk about uh, there's there's been a lot of scuttle about what uh, what the Canucks are going to do, what Jim Rutherford is going to do. I really liked listening to Jim Rutherford, and it sounds like he has a plan. And it sounds like the plan, at least till the end of the season, is if anyone gets traded, it's picks and prospects. That's what he's after. I think the offseason, it's it's wide open. Um, 
So there's a couple of guys who could be trade bait before the season ends. Um, and the first one, let's talk about Yaroslav Halak. Uh, let's start with him. Uh, now, Halak's an interesting one because he does have a full no-move clause, which, of course, he could waive if he wants. He also has bonuses that carry over to next year should he hit them, which he likely will. Um, what do you think of are the odds of the Canucks actually finding a suitor for Yaroslav Halak? I think there are teams that would be interested. I mean, the Edmonton Oilers right now are a team that are in free fall despite their big win last night against the Toronto Maple Leafs, and their coach has already called out their goaltender, and Mike Smith, the other goaltender, can never stay healthy. Um, Do the Canucks or will the Canucks trade Halak to a contender? I don't see it as a possibility. The other issue is who could play backup if Halak ends up getting traded. But there has been a lot more speculation about Halak getting traded the last, I want to say, three days or so. Especially on Twitter, there's been a lot of media guys mentioning it, that Halak is a guy that could potentially get traded. It makes sense. Like He is still a really good goalie, in my opinion, for his age. He's a backup at this point in his career, but he's still good enough where he can win big games for you. And he's a guy that has had playoff success. He hasn't had playoff success in a few years. I don't see it likely happening just for the fact that I don't think any of the goalies down in Abbotsford are ready to jump up to the big club and play a backup role to Demko. And I think a guy, especially, you know, if you look at the goalies that are down there, um, Mikey DiPietro especially, they need to be playing as many games as possible. And I don't see that happening with any backup right now with the big club, especially with how good uh, Demko has played. I think if Halak was traded, I think Spencer Martin would be the guy who comes up. He was already called up for the, to the taxi squad. Um, I think he would be the guy who would replace. I, I think there's a market for Halak, but I think the odds of him getting moved are pretty slim just because uh, he's got the no move, so that limits it. Uh, there is a market for goalies. I mean, I think uh, there's a few teams out there that could certainly use them. You mentioned Edmonton. They're right. They're Colorado and Vegas or a couple others that would be, I think, interested in adding a guy like that. And maybe he'd wave for something like that. Uh, he's got the the bonuses that I, I believe carry over into next year. He's going to hit both bonuses on his contract. So that's uh, 1.25, I believe, uh, cap hit that carries over. Um, I just think it's going to be tough for all that to work out i think the canucks will look at it and i think the reason that this has come up is because rutherford his comments saying anything for this year is going to be for picks or prospects that makes you immediately look at who is ufa and uh yaroslav halak right there is just like well the canucks don't really have a plan with this 36 year old goalie past this year i mean a lot of people think it's myself as well it's gonna be mikey di pietro in the backup role more than likely next year so i i don't see halak getting done um i do think the other ufa that is drawing a lot of interest though uh tyler mott i think there is a very good chance that the canucks uh could trade tyler mott i definitely think tyler mott is a guy that could be traded uh, i know it's only what eight games into the boudreaux era but nine. i think is it nine okay and boudreaux hasn't been playing mott a ton uh mott's usually in the bottom half as far as ice time goes uh I think it's more and more likely that a guy like Mott does get traded. Maybe you can get a third-round pick back. Maybe you can get a B-plus prospect back. I like Mott. I, I I think the Canucks need more players like Mott in their system and on their team. But for a future look at this team, I think it makes sense to trade Mott at the deadline. I really do. Out of all the skaters the Canucks have used, the Canucks have used 29 skaters this year. Tyler Mott is 24th in terms of ice time, just below Matthew Highmore and just above Alex Chason. So it does seem like he's getting used in a more limited role. Um, and again, you talk about trade chips, though. He's 26. He's a UFA. Um, this is a guy, I really like the guy, but if there's one guy who I think that would get moved um, it's it's Tyler Mott. So as much as I don't think Halak will go, I think Tyler Mott is going to get some interest. And, you know, I think the target for Mott would be a second-round pick. If you can get a second-round pick, the Canucks don't have a second-rounder, I think that's something that they would do. Yeah, I mean, I would take a second-round pick in a heartbeat for Tyler Mott. The issue is he's not playing enough minutes to garner that kind of value currently. 
And unless his minutes drastically change and Boudreaux starts to use him a lot more, I do think there's an issue with actually being able to to get that back. There's uh, the rest of the guys we have on the list are all forwards, and I think it's uh, it's it's an interesting list. But um, let's uh, let's start with with Pedersen. We've already talked about Pedersen a bit. There's some in the market who are uh, clamoring to say, hey, you know what? Pedersen's never going to be as good as we think he is. We should trade him. Uh, and then there's other people who are like, no, this is just, it would be a huge mistake to trade Pedersen. Where, where do you stand on this, Doug? Yeah, I, I, you don't trade Pedersen. Like, I get it. Like, he's not playing up to the standard or the expectations that a lot of us fans have had for him over the past couple of years. Um He's struggling, and a lot of players struggle. We watched Nathan McKinnon struggle for two seasons in Colorado. Um, it happens. I think right now Pedersen playing the penalty kill, I think that's actually a way for him to hopefully gain some confidence and make some good plays defensively and sharpen that aspect of his game back up to that standard we saw for the first couple of years of his career. And then hopefully the offense starts to come for him because right now... It just feels like he is clinching his stick. He's not looking for his shot. And when he is getting his shot off, he's missing the net. Yeah, for what I've noticed with PD, and I'm sure a lot of people have too, is uh, there there just seems to be a lot of double clutches or just second guessing. And uh, a lot of that hockey instinct that he has just hasn't been coming through as much. Um, I, I don't... I don't think you trade PD either. I think uh, you don't have to trade PD right now. He's on a, a decent contract uh, right now. Yeah, he's underperforming a bit on it, but I think it's something that uh, should he continue to trend upwards, even slowly, it's going to be a good deal. Uh, he's RFA at the end of it, so you still control his rights for possibly another eight years after that if you want. Uh, right now, I mean, he's 23 years old. Yeah, he's you know he had an injury last year, uh, which which slowed him down. He's he's had struggles this year for whatever reason. Um, uh, again, I you know I said this last time. I want to see the lotto line get back together for uh, for a game or two here, just to kind of uh, see how that goes. But uh, I don't think PD's going anywhere. I don't think the Canucks are even looking at it. I think this is just uh, something that f- sometimes fans put together because they're like, you know what, we're in, I, I th- feel like it's an impatient move. It's like we can trade him, get something else. Like let's blow this whole thing up again. It's like no. Nah, you don't do that with a guy like Pedersen. That guy is pure skill. Yeah, I mean, the big chip that I've seen in a Pedersen trade, almost like a one-for-one, one, like the P.K. Subban, Shea Weber deal is Matt Barzell in New York. Barzell's struggling this year. The Islanders are struggling pretty mightily. And, you know, they're of the same age. I think Barzell might be a year older. And so that's the one name I've seen out there. But in my opinion, you don't trade Petey. Barzell is 24. He was in the the Brock Besser uh, draft year. Um, And speaking of Besser, now this is a name that I think if the Canucks were going to make a splash in the offseason, this is, I think, the piece that they might do. And again, just he's... He is RFA at the end of this season, which is something to consider. Um, But he's a guy, I think, that they should watch. Uh, I think we should all watch because... I think there's a chance that that could be the type of guy that gets moved. I, I know Rutherford has a history of wheeling and dealing with wingers. And I mean, if he could get Besser in some sort of deal for like maybe high draft pick or right side D, I mean, something to look at, I think. Yeah. Like I think you would trade almost any player on this roster, depending on what you're getting in return. Like the only guy oh, that yeah. I think the only two guys that for me or three guys, pardon me, that I think are actually truly, truly untouchable are Petey, Hughes, and Demko. Those are the three. I'm not trading any of them. But again, depending on what you got back, I mean, if Colorado, not saying they would, but if Colorado offered you Kale McCarr straight up for Quinn Hughes, I don't think you're going to say no to that, right? I mean, again, it's potato, potato, but you probably would take that in a heartbeat. Well, I I mean, Besser... Go on, sorry. Sorry, please. just to cut you off. Uh, but, you know, this is episode 99, Wayne Gretzky. Even If Gretzky can get traded, anyone can get traded. That's true. But, I mean, Mary Lemieux never got traded, and to me he was far better than Gretzky. But that's just a personal opinion. <laughs> what do I know? 
Um, but going back to the Besser thing, I, I, I agree that he is a very potential trade chip. Just, and again, I'm not in the dressing room. None of us fans are. But just hearing Bruce Boudreaux talk about Besser and how he was pretty much the first player that name he dropped as, you know, wanting to talk to him and talk about trying to get his game back on track. And then we saw an immediate improvement in Besser's play. He started scoring goals again. Um, To me, that is a sign that this coach really likes this player. And I think this team needs goal scorers, right? They need a guy who can put the puck in the back of the net on a consistent basis. Argument is Besser hasn't been that consistent at doing that the last couple of years. But I do think that Besser has a long-term future with this team. And I think one of the next two players we're probably going to talk about, that's going to be the decision this management group's really going to have to figure out. Yeah, and you talk about the room. Um, at Besser's a part of that. Like Besser and Petey and Hughes, those guys are close. Do you want to disrupt that? I don't know if you do. And you're right, you need a winger. And just because Besser's qualifying is 7.5 or whatever, that doesn't mean he's going to sign that. I, I think the Canucks could come in with a you know a five or a six year deal in like the 6.25 range. That's something that I think could work out both ways. Uh, I think, though, you know, again, you talk about the core of this team growing together. Hughes is 22, Pedersen's 23, Besser's 24. It's uh, that's kind of the the movement. That's the core there. And I mean, uh, Demko is, is a couple years older than that, 26. But it's still that's the core you're working with. Um, but I'm going to group the next two together because they're kind of in the same boat. And uh and this is, again, a, a conundrum that I think a lot of Canucks fans are scratching their heads with is what to do here. you got Bo Horvat and JT Miller. So Bo Horvat, 26 years old. JT Miller, 28 years old. They are both UFA after next season. They have very good cap hits uh, right now. Bo's is 5.5. Miller's is 5.25. There's obviously a market for either of those guys. JT Miller is top 10 in the league scoring. Bo Horvat leads the league in faceoffs and, and is captain of the team. I think these are the real question marks. Even if you get Besser done uh, in there, I think this is where things really are all going to come down to is what are you doing? If you decide that, okay, yeah, Besser stays, now what? You're right. I mean, this is the biggest decision this management group is going to have to make moving forward because looking at the cap and looking at the current roster construction, it doesn't seem likely that this team is going to be able to keep all those players. And I'll group Besser in there as part of all those players. Those three, it's more than likely one of them is going to leave, whether that's via free agency or... A trade. Now, hopefully you don't let one of these players walk for nothing and you trade them and get some assets back. And I do think looking at Jim Rutherford's track record, he will do that and he will capitalize on that. Something that Jim Benning never really did. He was never able to really capitalize on pending UFAs. I mean, going back to the um, Dan Hamu situation, and I know me as a Canuck fan, that was one of the first times I got really, really frustrated with Jim Benning. And, you know, I understand trades are hard to make, but you should have and had to have been able to get something in return for that. It's a, it's a tough, it's a tough decision to make. I can see a point for both players. I can see why you would keep Miller and I can see why you would keep Horvat. I guess Here's a question I oppose to you, Pete. What do you think each of them gets? Let's say cap isn't an issue. What is? What are each of their salaries on their next contract? Don't worry about term, but just your average annual salary is like year to year. Are you a $10 million player? Are you an $8 million player? What do you think Horvat would get? And what do you think Miller would get? Well, I mean, you can only go with how things are at the moment. I think Horvat will be around seven. And I think Miller right now would be about 8.25. Yeah, I, I would honestly peg Miller maybe eight and a half, eight, seven, five, maybe closer to nine. Just the way the he's only, played. The only knock just is because he it will be uh, 30 years old by the end of it. So I think that may bring, uh, if a team is looking to do a bigger deal, I just think that that's where he's going to land. That's fair. That's fair. So then I guess the other question I have for you, who do you think has more trade value? 
Again, right now, JT Miller. So uh, you get he's a, a better he's return. The lower, he's the lower cap hit, and he's a top 10 score. So you would get a better return by trading Miller, and you would save some money as far as a long-term contract. To me, yeah, I, and I know it's tough. To me, and again, I, I mean, I think Miller's been the best forward since he's joined this team. I really do. And I love his style of pay, play. I love that every, I know people talk about the giveaways and, you know, his swearing, but I love, I love that. I love that emotion. It's something you and I have said since the beginning of this podcast. We want to see more emotion from these players. And the Canucks were a perfect example for years of a team that often wouldn't stand up for one another and, you know, wouldn't get into the hard areas and fight back when one of their teammates were injured and, you know, even just say things out loudly when they were unhappy or pissed off. I mean, everyone keeps referring back to last year when Miller stood up after the Canucks had that massive COVID outbreak and he said, we're not ready to play. The league needs to give us more time. We are not ready to play. And then the league did that. So that shows leadership. It shows character. And I think he won over a lot of players in that dressing room. But looking at it from a team perspective and the long-term benefit for the Canucks, is Miller the guy you trade? I don't know. I don't know. I, I want more of his swearing. I, I like that. Um, <laughs> I do think the team is going to talk to both players this summer and see, hey, what is your interest in re-signing? And if there is any sort of humming and hawing, I think they're going to open the trade doors. Uh, I think from the franchise perspective, they probably would prioritize Horvat. He's two years younger and he's the captain. So I think there's that. But it is really hard to trade uh, your best forward in uh, in JT Miller. But, I mean, if you trade him, what sort of return? What do you think is a realistic return on a guy like JT Miller right now? If you were to trade him, like, right now, uh, you know, midway the point of the season, what do you think you could get for him? And, I mean, that, that as well, if you're trading him now, you would get him for this playoff run and the next playoff run for whoever's getting him. I think you could definitely get two first round picks or a first round pick and an a an a prospect i'll say i won't say an a plus prospect but let's say an a prospect and then a solid roster player or maybe even two solid roster players but like a solid roster player who could probably play up and down your lineup uh two first round picks or a first round pick and an a level prospect i think i think to me that is more than manageable for the Canucks to be able to get back in a JT Miller trade. Um, I mean, some people would say you should be able to get more. You should be able to get two first round picks plus a top level prospect and a roster player. I, I, again, depending on who the prospect is, I wouldn't go that far. The first round picks generally aren't going to be top end picks because a team trading for Miller is going to be a team looking to put them over the top on a playoff run. So, you know, you're not getting, uh, a top 10 pick or an unprotected draft lottery pick. You're getting a pick in the bot back half of the draft, but still uh, that's what I see Miller's value at. Yeah, I think it'll be, um, I think a, a three piece package. Uh, if you get it in, it in there, it'd be, I think a first, maybe a third and a prospect. Um, I think it'd be something along those lines. I think, uh, I don't know if there's a, a want by the Canucks to take on salary in that situation uh, as well. I think it would be pick some prospects, but I mean, it's hard to do, man. I really like JT Miller. I know all Canucks fans do. Um, if you can figure out a way to, to sign these guys and I mean, our last guy on the list uh, is a guy that you could maybe move out in Tanner Pearson and even to a lesser extent, maybe uh, Jason Dickinson too. Um, Anything you can do to kind of wiggle some money out right now, that is kind of what, if you make that decision that, okay, you know what, we're going to try and, we've talked to Horvat and Miller, we're, we're going to try and re-sign them. You got to start making some room. And that's where that OEL deal really starts to like look at you like, holy crap, that's a lot of money. And again, OEL's played well. Has he played 7.26 well? I, I don't know. That's a, that's a lot of money tied up there. But you got Pearson at 325 and you got uh, Dickinson at 265. So just that's 5.9 million right there. Now, again, even if you bring in entry level deals or close to it, that's going to take that 5.9. That's going to free up 4 million uh, for next year, which then 
gives you a little bit more to work with. But what do you think about um, uh, Tanner Pearson in particular? He does have a no trade that kicks in before next season, but it's only a seven trade and seven team no trade list. So I don't see that being too big a problem. Well, I mean, hey, Jim Rutherford's traded Pearson before, right? Wasn't a great return, mind you, but he's traded him before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we definitely won that trade. That was definitely one of Benning's wins. Yeah, I, I think the issue with Pearson is the term. I, I think it's going to be hard for a team to want to pick up that money on the term left on his um, on his contract. So I think that's one of the bigger issues. Uh, I think one of the big things is the only way you're probably going to trade him is either take bad money back, maybe on a shorter term, or retain salary. And then you're not like you're helping yourself a little bit, but I don't think you're helping yourself enough. Or you throw no. in a prospect or a pick for them to eat his salary, but the Canucks don't have that. They don't have enough picks or enough prospects in their system currently to be able to afford that. So I, I would no. like to see them trade Pearson because I think it makes a lot of sense financially, logistically. But the fact that he has that much term left on his deal, I think he has two more years after this, isn't it? Yeah, he's got two more years, um, but it's only three point two five. It's not it's not huge, um, in my opinion. They, and it's certainly not something. There's there's no real economics to eating or retaining some of that salary because you got to look at again the level of replacement. Even if you if you were to retain a quarter of it, that's uh, eight hundred thousand or so, whatever. And then you bring in a guy to replace him, that's uh, you know one million or whatever. You're only really at the end of it saving one point four. And if you got to chuck in an asset to do it. Doesn't really make sense. Uh, I, I think Pearson is more tradable than I think uh, you think he is uh, at 3.25. I mean, he's a serviceable player in the lineup. I think he got a bit more than he should have. I know when we were talking Tanner Pearson uh, before, I had him in like the 2.5 range. And to come in north of three, I was pretty surprised by that. Um, but I don't think it's unmovable uh, to do it. But you just got to find the right taker. And uh, I mean, if not, there's always Arizona. Yeah, yeah, but again, you know, Arizona, you're you're probably gonna have to give something back to Arizona, right? They're not just gonna take his contract without it being no, no, their, I know. Yeah, I was I was kidding. It's just because everyone seems to end up in Arizona, but I, I do think he's more movable. I mean, he's pacing for close to a forty point season over a, a full schedule this year, um, and he's played up throughout the top nine. And he said he had a Gordie Howe hat trick last game. I think there are some teams that would look at a guy like Tanner Pearson for playoff pushes and be like, hey, this is a guy who could fill out our top nine. I think there would be some teams out there. Yeah, I mean, potentially. Like you said, Wayne Gretzky got traded, right? So anything is possible. Taylor Hall got traded for Adam Larson, right? So anything is definitely possible. Anything is possible. possible. Doug, anything else to add or should we take this into the free pour? Let's go to the free pour. Let's do it. It's that time of the episode for the free pour open floor segment. And I wanted to talk about something that is on Netflix Season four of this show just came out. Is it super kitschy, a little cheesy, maybe even a lot cheesy, but also extremely nostalgic? Yes. Talking about Cobra Kai. Uh, it's it's a cheesy show. Don't get me wrong. Um, you know, it's a lot of kind of high school drama, but you know what? I think it's pretty funny and I find it enjoyable. I don't want to say it's a guilty pleasure because I think there's a lot of people that like the show. Um, but I'm happy Cobra Kai Season 4 is back. I'm halfway through the season. And they've done a good job bringing in a lot of the old faces. Unfortunately, we lost Pat Moriarty. Uh, I want to say back in the mid to early 2000s. So he's not in it. But they've used clips from the old Karate Kid movies of him and Daniel LaRusso. And yeah, man, if you haven't watched Cobra Kai yet, you definitely should. I haven't. Um, maybe I will. Maybe I won't. I'll, I'll let you know. I, I'm going to talk about a show as well because uh, uh, last episode I alluded to that I was going to spend my New Year's starting to watch the, the Beatles Get Back documentary, which I did. Uh, 
put in an episode. I'm like, geez, this is going for a while. Eh? It's they're long episodes, like two and a half hour episodes. There's only three episodes, um, but it is fantastic. If you're a fan of the Beatles, this is a must watch. I am a fan of the Beatles. I've one of my the first bands I ever liked, and I still listen to them. Uh, it's 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 amazing. But it's what's really cool is uh, even if you're just like a casual music fan, just seeing how songs come together. It's really cool watching these guys and how and over the footage, the way it's put together, you can really see these songs build, and you can hear rougher versions of these songs, uh, mostly uh, "Let It Be" and Abbey Road stuff. And it, it, you can kind of hear how it builds, and it's it's a really cool progression. Um, and all building up to the, the show they did on the rooftop, uh, which they did an excellent job on. I can't believe this stuff sat in vaults for 50-something years without people seeing it. But uh, it's incredible. I highly recommend uh, watching Get Back if you're a fan of music at all. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 99, just about in the books, which, uh, geez, uh, the end of double digits, Doug. Uh, next one is the big one zero zero. Yeah, crazy, man. I can't believe we've, we're going to have our 100th episode next uh, next time we record. That's amazing, dude. I, uh, that's It's really cool, man. It's been a, an incredible journey, and I'm sure we'll reflect more on the history of the podcast on the next episode. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We may have to if uh, there's no games to talk about at this rate, right? We're gonna, yeah. We may have to go back to do like you know our favorite athletes of all times or top Canuck goals of all times or best Canuck fighters of all times or something. Uh, we have to may have to do something wacky uh, to fill in the blanks here because who knows what's going to happen uh, with games this week. Yeah, I mean, I think most of us are anticipating the Ottawa game is going to happen. I think Bill Daly was on the Donnie and Dolly show this morning, I believe, and he said by all accounts he thinks that the game between the Canucks and the Senators this Saturday will happen. Um, but as you said earlier in the episode, Pete, the Senators are one of the teams, I think the team with the most players in protocol at the moment. Fingers second. crossed. Second most, pardon me. Fingers crossed that the game actually happens because, yeah, I want to see this team keep on rolling. Yeah, man. I mean, this is uh, quite the run that they're on. Like I said, over a month since uh, the team lost in regulation. Now, granted, I mean, they've had a good handful of games that have been postponed in there. Still, it's a fun thing to do. And uh, you go back, uh, you know, several episodes here and you just hear our doom and gloom and all that. and Just how... The, the, the mood around this team has really changed and I, I, I too I want to I want to see more of that it's it sucks being in January and you know it, not having every other night a Canucks game to come home and look forward to yeah I agree uh, this time of year is usually you know the type of the time of year when teams are really making their case and whether or not they're going to be a playoff team and with the turnaround the Canucks have had since Boudreaux took over the coaching duties uh, you want to see this team play like they're exciting to watch again they for a while there it was really hard being a content creator trying to talk about this team and then as soon as Boudreaux came in uh, you know everything was on the up and up actually last time I was in Toronto is when the Canucks fired Travis Green and Jim Benning and hired Bruce Boudreaux so there's that and I'm back here now recording uh, far far away and yeah I'm staying as warm as possible obviously you guys are getting hit with all that snow back in Vancouver hopefully it doesn't last too long no it's uh, it's all gonna go away soon and it's nice to have you on the road uh, I know I've had a few episodes in the past I know I've recorded from Beirut and Cyprus and San Diego and Victoria and a few other spots that I can't really think of uh, but uh, it's uh, it's definitely uh, it's cool to have you on the road and you can kind of infiltrate the the Leafs over there and at least take hey, you got them to beat Edmonton so uh, I'm okay with that one at least <laughs> very true uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore gas. Do check out our ever-growing playlist on Spotify, the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist. This track will get added on as well. Give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. Be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Canucks Speak. As always, thanks for listening. 
hasta luego.